Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby. But today we have a dad. He's a dad of three. Uh, he's also the 2019 winner of Celebrity MasterChef. Well done to you. Uh, he's uh, an Olympic gold medalist and he's currently retraining in a new field for the great British bobsleigh team at the 2022 Winter Olympics. It's Greg Rutherford. Hey. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We have met once, haven't we, we? Have. at the Pride of Britain Awards on the red carpet, but we yep. were meant to be going on a big old track together. We were indeed, yes. And then the story of my life, my body being an absolute disaster, um, meant that it didn't end up happening then. Because I had to have surgery <laughs> that year in the end, which was a complete nightmare, which is, as I say, the story of my life. My body constantly falls apart. <laughs> Actually, as I sit here now, and you mentioned it very briefly, um, the whole bobsleigh thing, I'm sitting here with like absolute agony in my back uh, <laughs> just because I'm old and I'm asking my body to do something that probably I should not be asking it to do. Uh, so, yeah, so I miss a trek and then, yeah, can't, do, can't really bend over at the moment or move. So, yeah, all good fun. But is that something as an athlete that there's just something inside you that feels like, you know, you need to do something else? Like you couldn't just stop. It's like, <laughs> what's the next challenge? I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to completely do, uh, do something completely different. It involves ice, essentially. It's cold. You know, yeah. it's very different to what you've been doing. You've been training in like Arizona for what you were doing before, but now it's cold places. Yeah, trying to explain that to Susie was an interesting one, um, to say the least. She wasn't thrilled by the prospect of me going back to sport. And do you know what? It's a really weird one, because, because I think everybody looking and just, just assumes, oh, God, you're, you're obviously missing it so much, you had to find something. But I was actually really happily retired. Like, I, I was yeah. really enjoying that I would eat cream cakes at midnight now because I could do that. <laughs> and if I wanted a beer, I would have a beer. And, and it's weird things like the summer... For everybody else, when the summer, when, when weather gets nice, which obviously is a bit of a rarity at the moment, people mm. would say go to beer gardens and, and restaurants and do all those sorts of things and have a great time. For me, for all of my adult life, all that I would do would be training and competing, so I didn't get to enjoy that. So for the last couple of years, I was thoroughly enjoying it. But then obviously the pandemic strikes and, and lockdown hits, and all of a sudden, 
all I could do was train a bit again because I needed to kill some of the time. I'm really lucky at the house. I've got a gym and, and a piece of track in the garden that I could train on. I just, due to boredom, I started training again. And then somebody from the bobsleigh world, a good friend of mine, Kaylee Humphreys, who's sort of one of the most successful female bobsleighers of all time, she reached out and just sort of, she'd been going on about it since about 2014. Like, come on, give it a go. And I guess, no, no, no. And then she reached out again. I just sort of thought, well, why not? Yeah. I, 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 there wasn't an awful lot else going on, to be totally honest. So <laughs> I'll try and go back to sport for a bit, shall I? And, and here we are. And, it, and it's, it, it's been a bit, of a bit of a bizarre journey so far, but it's been, it's been amazing as well. It's been quite enjoyable. Yeah, it's that thing, isn't it? It's that new focus, especially in this weird time where life is just turned upside down. Yes, and that, and that was the big thing as well, I think. I think for me... I've been really lucky since retiring. I've been incredibly busy and I've been doing other things. And I've been, I guess if you like, forging a career in, in, in other paths. But then to actually have a reason to train. Because, mm. do you know what? I think for years as an athlete, I would look in and people go, oh, I don't have time to train. Or I, I, I really struggle to fit it in. And I'd always be like, why? Like, there's, there's, yeah. You can always make time for training. But actually, I then retired. When it wasn't my job, it's really difficult. Like, I completely mm -hmm. take my hat off to people that, that work really long hours but still manage to go to the gym and things. Because... It's incredibly difficult to do, and I, I realised that. So actually having a focus to train meant that, I guess, if you like, I was staying a bit healthier because, yeah. again, cream cakes at midnight isn't the, the best thing to be always well, doing. Well, and I imagine, though, going from that much training like and physical work to not mentally, that must have an effect as well. And if, if it is then more difficult to to go to the gym and do all that stuff, like your mental um, health must take a battering in that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really weird one in that aspect. I think I was fortunate from the point of view of I knew where I was going when I retired and I'd already put the wheels in motion, if you like, to, to have a plan. So yeah. for me, I, I wanted to move into to broadcasting and, and that was a, always a plan. I, I'd, I'd set out with Eurosport, who I effectively I now work for as well, that that's what I would do. They offered me a, a fantastic job and, and I'll be in Japan hosting... Um, a large part of the coverage, which I'm really excited about. Yeah. So all of that was there. So I think I didn't have enough time to particularly think about that as such. And, and, and I thought, well, look, I'm going on to this. I remember the day after I retired, I was flying out to, to um, Geneva in order to get ready to start a trek for a show that we did on, on the BBC uh, called The Pilgrimage. So it's the, mm. literally the following day. I jumped my last jump on the Saturday. <laughs> on the Sunday, I was flying. So I was straight into things. But again, I think due to the pandemic... I found myself in a, in a situation where there was more time to think. And, and yeah. all of a sudden I am thinking, do you know what? I, I did love training. I did love having that purpose to physically push myself. And, and actually not having things like a show where I'm trekking across Italy and, and Switzerland or whatever else, or other shows that were, were lined up to be done, then you have that time to process and think about actually what you're missing. And I was yeah. missing, I was missing move myself and testing myself. So as you sort of rightly say, there's now a focus again, which no matter what happens, there is a reason for me to train and push myself, which clearly I, I, I need to have in my life. And has that always been the case? Like, did you, was your childhood full of sport and physical activity? Massively, yeah, yeah. Everything about me as a kid was really sport and active based. And do you know what, it's a real shame, and I mean, you'll probably see exactly the same. If I go to the areas where I grew up, which isn't a million miles away from where I am now, the fields and the, the parks and whatever else that were filled with kids when I was growing up, you don't see them anymore. Mm. There's no children outside. There's no kids being active as much due to whatever reason that might be. And I, I think that's a massive shame. I think kids have switched off from being outside and going on adventures and, and climbing trees, creating bases in bushes and all that sort of stuff and playing football constantly, as I seem to always be doing. So for me, it was always about being outside. I just wanted to be outside. I wanted to be playing sports. I wanted to be active. And I was lucky enough, I guess, even from a young age with, with my approach to sport that was, I will find the sport that works for me, the one that I can win at. And for me, it was always about winning. It was always really, really important. So I would literally try every sport going to see if I could succeed it. And, and for a while it was football. Bizarrely, it was badminton for a while. But it wasn't the back burner, it was, was track and field. And it just so happened I went from being a sprinter that was a pretty good sprinter to then finding the long jump because I couldn't win at the sprinting and yeah. then eventually forging a career from it. So it was always That's so about funny. being That's active. something that I hear from so many Olympians. It sounds like I speak to so many. I've <laughs> spoken to a handful, but it's that thing of find the sport that's yours and Absolutely. that's right for you. 
Yeah, completely. Look, I, what I think everybody always has to remember, I mean, look, it does become your job and there is times where it's incredibly stressful. It's very, very full on. And, and there's times, I mean, I, I had times during my career where I strongly considered retiring, leaving the sport and mm. that sort of stuff. But you have to enjoy sport and you have to enjoy the process of doing it because it's hard work a lot of the time. It is difficult yeah. and you say no to a lot of things, a lot of things that people are probably considering enjoyment things. So you have to enjoy it. So it, I think what you find, especially with people that go on to be successful in sport, winning is a hugely important part of that. And you get a lot of joy from winning. So yeah. if you can find the sport, if you are sporty, that works for you because you can win it and you enjoy it, there's a much greater chance in my belief system that you can actually go on and have some form of career out of it, whatever level that might be. And when you are so focused on that, on, on competing, what, what, you know, at what point did your mind start drifting to family life was that something that even entered your head when looking forward you know was it always something that was always in the distance because I think a lot of us kind of go oh in two years in two years in two years you know and it kind of drifts off um was it something that you just always knew was was something that you wanted massively yeah so I picked kids names when I was like seven <laughs> I, I, I was I was somebody that always wanted kids and, and I remember I don't forget it I had a friend at the time his name was his name was Reese and uh I always wanted to call my first son. I was like, I'm going to have, a, I'll have a son, and I'm going to call it Oscar. I went, for whatever reason, at a really young age, I wanted to call yeah. it Oscar. And then they had a dog and called the dog Oscar. No. And, I was, and I was like, oh, that sort of that that ruins it for me a little bit. And Oscar's a lovely name still, but the problem is when you have that direct link. To, and somebody's sort of taking it from me like, ah. Oh. But that was always there. I always wanted children and I always yeah. wanted to have a family. And I was so excited. And it was really interesting. When I met Susie, and it, it wasn't an awful long time after the Olympics, so my life was all a bit hectic and crazy. I think one of the things that we both connected on really quickly with was the fact that we both wanted children as well, which mm. was hugely important to both of us. And it happened fairly quickly in your relationship as well. Like within the first year, Susie got pregnant. So what was that moment like of being told it's happening? Because it's um, one thing planning, <laughs> it's another thing knowing it's happening. Um, I can't remember if you asked Susie this and what her response was, just because um, it was early on in the, in the relationship, if you like. I mean, we've been dating by that point, I think just under a year by the time she'd fallen pregnant. And... Yeah, certain things hadn't been said between me and Susie at that point, which she berates me for massive. I still get what? so That's much stick for it. <laughs> no, because if I say it, people are going to go, what are you, how did you not say it? So something well, I You hadn't told her you loved her? Yeah, I hadn't told Susie I'd loved her at that point. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I did, yeah, I did. Said, what were you I know, waiting for? I know. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's, it, she, she absolutely tears me to bits still for it now. In a very jovial way, of course. But... The, the worst part of that, and I, I don't know if Susie's ever sort of divulged this, she, she told me, and we're in the house that we're in now, it looked very different then, because we've been renovating for about 700 years now. Um, <laughs> but when she told me, I was so obviously over the moon, but I didn't really know what to say. I was all excited. And obviously Susie at that point is thinking, well, now's a really good time to probably drop those words in there. But I did. I still didn't say it, and it and, it, and it, it miffed her off a little bit, to say the least. But the thing was, it was weird for me, because I knew, and I was super happy and everything else. It was just, I think, because I hadn't, because it hadn't been said at that point. It really yeah. felt like maybe this is the wrong time to say it. Because am I only saying it because you've just told me you're pregnant? So yeah. So there's the yeah. big bombshell. It took me. It was very soon after that point, but it took me a good eleven months to say that I love you to Susie, which. I knew very early on that it was that I was set and this was great and it was the best thing ever. But equally, it just hadn't been said. So uh... well, was there a thing where you just, it just <laughs> those words just never come out of your mouth? Were you, were you thinking about I should probably say it, or were you just completely oblivious to the fact that actually I feel this way? I should vocalise it. No, do you know what? It, I knew. I knew it had also gone on too long. So I, I, it was, it like was like, someone says that like calls you the wrong name and you can't tell them anymore yeah, that they're calling exactly. you the wrong name. Right. Exactly. We'd built up to this point where I knew I had to say it and I should say it. But because that was now the thing in my head, I'm like, oh, when's the right time to say it? So I, I, I can often turn things, like really build them up into something massive when they're probably not. I just needed to say it and get it out of the way. Um, but at that point, it had been turned into such a big thing. Do you know what? Do you know what's a really good example, right? So, and, and I think most people have this example as well. So when I went in London, I was given this really yeah. nice bottle of champagne, like again, very expensive, lovely bottle of champagne, right? In 2012, 
to celebrate the fact that I'd just become Olympic champion. What I did was go, I'll save that for a special occasion. I still have that bottle of champagne, right? And, and then what we did was, when we knew the baby was coming, I was like, right, we're gonna put it in the fridge and we'll open the bottle of champagne when Daphne comes, because yeah. it's our last baby, we're gonna go for all that sort of stuff, it'd be great. We didn't do it, we still haven't done it. And, I've, <laughs> and I think it's, I've built it up into something now where that's, open, I don't know, maybe what'll happen, the world will end if I open that bottle of champagne at this point. But, I think I turned it to something else, and clearly it was it was on Susie's mind as well because she wasn't best best thrilled with the me not saying. It. But I've said it I've said it many a time since. You've so, made uh, up for it. That's all I, we need to know. I remind her every single day that she's loved and beautiful and everything else. So that there's there's no yeah there's there's no questioning it now, shall we say? Well, Susie also doesn't have the easiest time in pregnancies. So not only does no. she have HV every HG every time, but then she's also got a boyfriend that hasn't told her that he loves her. So she's going through the morning sickness, well, she's carrying his child, and, yeah. you know, there's no well, with, love, but there with, is, but it's just not vocalised. <laughs> well, with, with, by the time that HG had hit, I guess, with Susie, she definitely knew by that point. And I'd like to believe That's that nice. my, my actions also would show a level of love. Because um, they're, they're difficult times, to be totally honest. And, and again, I, I can't make light of it because it is quite hard. But when you are clearing out somebody's spit bowl to be slightly gross, yeah. it's the one fluid, for whatever reason, that I don't do well with. But you can't, you can't. Well, it, it, the thing is, sick doesn't bother me. I mean, you've got kids, dogs, all that sort of stuff. It doesn't bother me at all. But there's something about spit that I'm not too keen on. Um, so a large bowl of it is is very unpleasant. But obviously, I can't walk into a room when Susie's going through the absolute meal. Like, I, I, I can't even express... Watching Susie go through it is, is one of the most hard and difficult things I, I've ever had to go through. But to I can't walk in the room and go, oh, yeah, I'll take... Some, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, no, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you just have to crack on. So I'd like to believe that she... Well, I mean, I had said it before she got hyperemesis. Yeah. Like, I definitely had said yeah. it. But, um, yeah, it, that's a... Yeah, a difficult time to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it must be so horrible. Like I, I literally have only ever had a bit of nausea in pregnancies. I've, you know, so I don't know what that's like at all. But it must be such a, a strange time because obviously you are happy because a baby is growing. But at the same time, to see the person that you do love going through that and actually being quite helpless in that in that time as well, that yeah. must be really hard. That's the biggest point of, yeah, you are completely and utterly helpless. And that's really genuinely difficult. I remember Susie did a, she sat on with um, Nahal and did a, a five live chat about it. So she was, she was on there for about an hour or so. And, a, and, a, and a, a guy rang in while it was on. So she was sort of talking to people and things like that. And a guy rang in and he, and he was so upset. He was, he was crying on the phone because again, this level of feeling completely and utterly helpless. And I was at home listening to it. Susie was in the studio. And I just remember just thinking, like, oh, I know exactly how he feels. Like, because you're seeing somebody, they, they can't particularly eat, they're losing weight rapidly, they're having to go in and out of hospital, they're taking lots of different drugs, which there's always then people think, oh, this is a fear, could there be something that happens due to the drugs, etc., etc. And they're just not them, they're not themselves. And you become their full-time carer as well, that they can do nothing for themselves pretty much. And it's horrible. It's really, really difficult. Like it truly is one of the worst things to see, to watch somebody lose drastic amounts of weight, not be able to. Move. I couldn't go in the room. You've got to think this is the crazy thing with it because sense of smell and taste, everything is so heightened yeah. as well. Literally, I would go into the room to to help do whatever I need to clear bowls out, whatever else. Within seconds, it would feel like she'd be like, "You need to leave." because it was bringing on the, these, yeah. these horrible tendencies to, to obviously retch and puke and everything else. And it, you have zero relationship as well in that time and the way if you can't talk to them, you can't even go and hug them. Like it's, it's horrible, like truly, truly horrible. Uh, and I think we were maybe relatively lucky because with Milo, the first one, it wasn't too severe. Now, she was quite right. unwell with it, but it wasn't to the point how it was with, with Rex and Daphne. I mean, it was with Rex because I guess she'd had a level of it, but it wasn't as extreme with Milo. So Rex came along, that was a shock because yeah. say for four months or so, I had no relationship with Susie at all, bar to clear out her sick bowls and, and just get her whatever she needed at that point or take her to hospital. Uh, and then with Daphne, we hoped with a girl that it wouldn't be as bad, but it was probably worse. Wow. Well, it must also play into the idea, like you, when you plan ahead, 
like to have Daphne and that must be part of your decision do we go for another child knowing that you're going to go through that I know at one point you talked about wanting four children you know so that yeah. it must play a part in you just said you this is your last but it must play a part in your decision making because you know that Massively. you're going to have to go through all that to have a baby and I know that is a beautiful ending but it's what you've got to go through to get there yeah, hugely. Yeah. So everything is planned and we have we look at what's going on around. So actually having the pandemic, we said, well, look, we're in this situation for quite a while now. Why not try and go through the process of hyperemesis when we can't leave the house anyway? And then we'll, yeah. we'll hopefully by the time we come out of it, we'll have a lovely new baby and we sort of go from there. Yeah. And you're there. At least you know that you Completely. are there to, to be with the other two. Yeah, and that's a big thing. And, and what also happens with the hyperemesis side of things, which is really fascinating, what often has to happen, it'll be, say, I don't know, 6 a.m., and there, there has to be food there, like there has to be something, and it'll be whatever it is at that time. So for a period I remember with Rex, I had to basically get peanut butter on toast, and it had to be there by 6 a.m., or it was like the world was ending for poor Susie because her body was just just freaking out, basically, like yeah. going absolutely, absolutely mad. So I had to have it there. And then obviously she would eat a bit and then it would all eventually come up. Like it would all come up. But you have to do all these things. I mean, it's so bizarre, isn't it? Because I've, I've literally heard of, of women, you know, straight after birth, it's gone. Straight, yeah. So they can have it the whole way through. And then... It's, it's the craziest thing. No longer feeling that. Well, and isn't that amazing? I mean, it sort of shows that the hormonal maybe imbalance, I guess, as it would be for, for somebody who's suffering with, with, with hyperemesis, of how insane that is during the period and then the baby leaves you and then all of a sudden you start to feel significantly better and she did she she felt so much better once Daphne was here and of course isn't having to take any of the the sort of drugs that she was on before is completely normal now back to her normal self which is lovely yeah. do, you, do you know the weirdest thing was as well there was one time where for one day Susie managed to she I think she, she'd taken quite a lot of obviously what she was on she'd been sick and everything and she sort of appeared in the garden for a minute and I got so used to by this but I probably had about two or three months I guess of just being on my own if you like around the house yeah. and you have this weird moment where you sort of look like hi like <laughs> how how can I help who are you like how do I help well, I don't well, what do you need it's not like a relationship as such at that point it's as I say you're like this carer so it, it becomes there's a level of adaptation again when they're back in yeah in the fold because let's say yeah. Susie effectively lives in a bedroom being incredibly unwell I to and fro to get her whatever she needs but you do everything else so if it's taking the kids to school for those days that they were at school during the pandemic if it's sorting out cooking cleaning doing whatever else you're just doing it on your own effectively you're, you're a single parent for that period yeah. so then when this person appears again it really is it's odd it's yeah. you've had months of having zero interaction no conversations no nothing well, I guess on top of that as well, you've got the guilt aspect of, like, Susie would be looking at the at the boys and kind of being like, I'm your mum, but I can't do yeah. what I want to do and what I need to do with you. And knowing that you're there, but, like, how do you reassure, how did you reassure her in that way? Like, you've just got to do you, get through, and the boys are happy. Yeah, you, you, yeah, that that is hard as well because again, for her emotional response to it, I can, obviously can't control. And and I, yeah. uh, again, I think for a mum who's so incredibly hands on, I guess as you are, Susie, as as a lot of mums are, to then have that completely removed from you is really difficult. So I would have to do my absolute best just to keep the kids placated in any way, shape, or form at times. And and there, there would be situations where maybe if one of them felt a bit unwell, I'd sort of carry them to the door and Susie would try and have a conversation. I mean, the other thing you can't help with kids, as you know as well, is there'll be certain situations, they'll wake up at five o'clock in the morning and they were always with me. They would then sneak yeah. in to Susie's bedroom. <laughs> and then I would like, because obviously my, my uh, sort of senses are quite heightened anyway. And I'm saying it'd be like uh, a startle. Oh God, one of them's gone. And they'd be like, <laughs> run into the room. And then uh, you would see like Rex or something like sneaking under oh. the cover to try and do it, which is, and Susie's desperate for it as well. This is, this yeah. is the horrible thing. And I'm like, come on, mate, you have to go now. And, it, and it's horrible and it's heartbreaking. And, and again, you can see that that situation is so difficult for Susie. But for the kids, you just reassure as much. But, and you, again, keep them active. They're at their age where yeah. if they want to go see her and they may be a little bit sad because I've had to then pull them out of the room because Susie's puking everywhere then you go and do something. You just keep them active. Oh, I mean, it doesn't sound fun at all, to be honest. 
No, no. And, and that's again, so obviously in the early days when we talked about wanting four children, we're like, ah, oh, it'd be great. Like, so we both wanted kids, whatever else. <laughs> Milo got out of the way. It was like, well, it's not too bad. Rex comes along and it's horrific. Daphne comes along yeah. even worse. And I think that, that cements. But the situation we find ourselves currently in is that Daphne is an amazing baby. And there's these, <laughs> these, these moments where you go, no, oh, it wouldn't be nice to have another Daphne. Go, yeah, it would be nice. And you go, no, no, because the months leading up to that point are horrific but you forget don't you that's the problem you forget yeah and then you find yourself in it was a horror birth with milo first time round, and then eventually you forget and then here we are i say so, so, so milo's it. birth wasn't good no it was awful no 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 really really bad so everything that could go wrong went wrong um and he got stuck and all that sort of stuff and there was a lot of instruments being involved, and then he was forceps delivered in the end. I'll tell you what, that, that was a really interesting time. So I guess for the first time you're becoming a parent, and we're in this situation where, say, everything went wrong. So we'd gone through this process, and Susie had sort of mentally built up. We were going to have, like, a pool birth. We are going to have it yeah. all nice. It was all going to be quite serene and, and, and quite a pleasant experience. That was the plan. And we, we turned up to the hospital, and all the pools were out of order, so we couldn't get in the pools first of all. It was yeah. like, OK, fine, OK, we'll, we'll deal with this. We were then put in this room and things weren't progressing well for Susie at all. She was in an awful lot of pain. And then I forget that the midwife just kept coming in going, oh, just guess now, you'll be fine. And she was like, no, so it's really quite like it's getting horrific. Anyway, um, after hours and hours of going through the process, pushing whatever else, nothing was happening at all. Milo was back to back. So leading in, Susie had basically said, no matter what, I don't want a forceps delivery because again, there can be obviously lots of problems that come from a forceps yeah. delivery. So she's like, no matter what happens, I don't want forceps. They have to figure out a other way. So this is while she was lucid and, and just pregnant. Yeah. Basically every, everything had gone so wrong and she was in so much pain. She was dropping in and out of consciousness. And oh yeah, it was, it was quite, so that's quite traumatic as well. Cause it's like, she's, Okay, she's not with us for the moment. Okay. Well, okay, and at that back. point as well, that that's the person that you you love. Yeah. Going yeah. through that, and again, it's that helplessness thing. Completely. Of... What do you do? I mean, the, yeah. the, the only thing I could probably could have done was stick on some gloves and shove my hands up there myself to try and help. But I mean, like, that's not going to be helping anybody, is it? I mean, <laughs> not let's be advised. No. no, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Um, so uh, you're sort of there, completely useless yet again, and I had this this sort of moment. I'm not particularly like a. I guess, I don't know, forceful person or anything like that. Yeah. Obviously, I came in with this predetermined idea, idea sort of dictated by Susie. So I'm basically following her rules, if you like. Yeah. And we've got this situation where Milo's completely stuck and then she's sort of being told, OK, we have to get, we have to cut and get forceps in to get him out. And I'm sort of there going, well, she's not really conscious, so I, I'm not entirely sure if I should be saying yes or no to this. So I, I had to have this moment where... I basically kicked everybody out of the room. I said, I need you all to leave because I need to speak to Susie. And yeah. I had to basically wait with my face in her face for a moment where she sort of came to again. And I sort of explained, I'm getting quite upset at this point as well. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's quite a difficult thing to see it. And, and you, you're sort of there and I'm like, Sue's like, she sort of comes through, looks at me for a second. And again, she's not 100% there, I guess, because what's yeah. going on. I was like, listen, they've said the only way to get him out is if they cut you and use forceps. And literally, just a response, you sort of looked at me like for, for this one lucid moment and just went, get him out of me. And I was like, right, <laughs> fine, fine. Right. And, and sort of that point, I was like, right, OK. Got everybody back in the room. And I'm like, let's go for it, guys. Like, let's, let, let's get him out. And again, you just feel utterly like, there's nothing you, you can't you can't do anything because you can't do anything at that point really. You, you but are and also I think when you when you go into that situation you have all these ideas of what it's going to be like what you're going to say yes and no to. But actually, when you're giving birth, the big takeaways are that you stay safe and that the baby is safe. That's Absolutely. the only thing that matters. A and Absolutely. actually getting the baby out, however that happens, you know, you could want to do the hypnobirthing and have the whole water birth or whatever. If you end up with a C-section, you've not failed. You've, you've got, you know, you've, you've got what you, everyone hopes for. Absolutely. And that's a baby in your arms and being Absolutely. well yourself. And, that's the, and that is the big thing. And, it, and it's... Uh... I think it is difficult as well, because I think some people obviously... So the one thing I, I guess I sort of say to people now, especially with their first child, is first and foremost, 
ignore everybody's advice because everybody is going to tell you something different. So advice yeah. is great and certain nuggets of it will actually be genuinely useful, but everything will be different for each individual person and each baby is different. I mean, I remember we just had Milo and we had this photographer over, we were doing a photo shoot for it. And he was telling us that, oh, I've had six kids and what you do is as soon as they cry, leave them in the room for a few hours and eventually they'll stop crying, they'll be all right. And we're like, we don't no. want to do that. Like, that's... <laughs> no, thank you. We'll be fine. Because I think Milo was crying a little bit. He's like, nah, you just leave them. They'll sleep for the night eventually. And we're like, God, that sounds oh, quite Oh, I had someone who literally told me at night time they locked the baby in their room. <laughs> and I was like, what are like, you doing? Uh, yeah, he's like, you're like oh, no, no. And again, at that point, you're like, oh, yeah, again. Like, well, I've had six kids. And I'm talking about, no, no, I won't do that. And you're getting like, okay, that's fine. But that's 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 the big thing. But equally, I think one of the most important things I think for anybody to remember going in to, to give birth, and obviously I'm not the one that has to give birth, I'm just the one that watches, but yeah. is to whatever your plan is, don't obsess about that plan because yeah. the problem is you add so much more stress to you, to yourself mm -hmm. if something goes slightly wrong because it's such... It's such a traumatic experience, really, no matter how you look at it. I mean, some people are very lucky, go in. I had a friend once who went in and about 10 minutes later, the baby was there. Everybody was fine. Everybody was there, and they went home. Like, it was just easy. Yeah. But often it's far more than that. And if you're so obsessed about a plan, that's then when I think when anything changes, it can make everything so incredibly stressful. And I say we tried to make the best of the fact that we didn't have these pools and we've been planning for that and everything else. And we sort of accepted that quickly. But as I say, for me, that moment where they said we're using forceps and... They, and you've got to bear in mind as well, the doctor, when they say we're going to use forceps and there is a 13% chance that we, by using forceps, they're saying at the time that we could cause brain damage. There is a excellent percentage chance that a baby can die. There is a chance yeah. that this can happen to the mother, whatever else. And obviously, I'm the one that, that's there and, and I'm hearing this. And I'm thinking, no wonder she doesn't want them. Yeah. They're horrendous. Well, and effectively, you're the one who's having to make... That decision, although Completely. you are Susie, you're the one who's going to have to push forward with that Completely. and then live with whatever happens afterwards. Exactly. And that and that's the that's the awful situation that you can often find yourself in as well. But again, I think like you said as well, like if if you if you're quite fluid with how you go in and you just accept what's going on, that mm. means that those situations as stressful and as horrendous they as they are. Fundamentally, the doctors, midwives, everybody else, they just want the best for you. They just want you to come yeah. out the other end, like you say, with a healthy mum, healthy baby. Um, so you have to take that advice on board. Um, and I think being a little bit more relaxed, fluid, if you like, with, with, with your plan, I think that's probably the best bit of advice um, that goes in there. All the other stuff, as I say, how they sleep, whatever else. Every baby, in my opinion, is different. If some <laughs> yeah. horrific photographer wants to leave all six of his children to cry themselves to sleep for 12 hours... I see that as something else, but again, each their own, I guess. It's not for me to say, but uh, yeah, that's not for me. But with that, those regards, be relaxed, whatever else. I think that that's probably quite important. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I think when it comes to the hospital... You're asked so much about your plan. Like yeah. there's something that yes. you are actively told to think about. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. You, you can romanticize about what that's going to be like, and um, you know, but actually, in reality, you've got to be, you've got to know that things don't always work in that way. You've got to be adaptable. And I think, I think so. Even for me doing hypnobirthing, because I did hypnobirthing in all three, and I absolutely loved it. I think 
part of it is trying to stay on top of your breathing, your like being yeah. ready then, being being able to be open to the different situations that might arise. So not being a purist and going, no, I'm not going to go down that route. Actually kind of going, I'm just putting myself in the calmest state so that anything that happens, you know, I, I feel secure in that. Yeah, um, how did you so feel then going into into Rex's birth? Or was that a, was that a planned C-section? Yeah, plan C, yeah. So, so that was part of the thing because everything went so wrong and there's been ongoing issues since Milo's birth um, because that, that went wrong that the, the decision very quickly was suit from Susie's yeah. point of view of uh, if we're, gonna, we're going down this route again well we are I mean she's pregnant when there's nothing else that it's happening um, it's got to get out somehow it's got to come out somehow <laughs> so the only way that she felt comfortable to to, to birth Rex was through a c-section so we planned everything so and, and it's amazing how much karma and how nicer yeah. that experience is and and again, I, I know in, in certain situations that people say, no, don't try not to have C-section or whatever else. But from our experience of the two that we've had, it is for both Susie, baby, myself, whatever else, even though with Daphne, there was a lip, she got nicked slightly on her lip, so she bled a bit. So that was a bit of a concern at first. But yeah. the whole process of going into the theatre, the anaesthetists always seem to be the nicest humans on earth. And, and they're just so relaxed and calm and everything else. <laughs> and these little things like the, the epidural, for example. So when, when Susie was, was giving birth to, to Milo, the epidural failed twice. So I'll never forget it. The anaesthetist came in. So part of the horror story was the anaesthetist came in and she looked exhausted. Like, poor thing. I felt really bad for her. So she'd clearly been called back in. And I said to her, I was like, have you had a rest? Because she just looked, I mean, I'm not being horrible, but she looked knackered. Yeah. And she said, I've been on for 24 hours straight. <gasps> and at that point as well, you're like, oh my God. And she couldn't, yeah. it just, she couldn't. So Susie had a numb foot during the process of everything. So you've got to think she was cut, having the whole thing done. She wasn't yeah, numb yeah, for that. Yeah. So pretty horrific situation to find yourself in. Um, but with this, with the, with the, with the C-section, you go into, you sort of go down nice and relaxed and you go sit on the bed and get it in, they put it all, all and, and just everything. And you, I was sort of sitting next to her. I was, again, you, you, you're you sort of, you feel useless, but equally it's more of, you're on a bit of a, a ride, if you guess. You're sort of, you're, you're viewing something that's so relaxed, chilled and and happy, if you like. It's just yeah. a, it's a completely different experience. And it was amazing. Also, there's more control in that situation Completely. because everyone, you know, I think when an emergency C-section or, or birth, there's there's so many variables that Absolutely. could happen. Well, actually, with a C-section, I guess it, it is you you go in knowing what's going to happen. Massively, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the only funny story we have really from Rex's birth is that we we went in, we're all, we thought we we're all prepared, all chilled, everything else was great. And then one of the uh, one of the midwives came in. She was like, "Okay, so do you have a baby's hat ready as well? So when baby's born, we'll put the hat straight on or whatever." And we we're like, "Yeah, we got." Oh, hang on. Why oh, no, we don't have a we don't have a hat? And we're in central London, and I was like, oh, "We need a hat." And then all of a sudden, they're worrying like they're going to think we're terrible humans. We haven't brought a hat for the baby. Oh God! <laughs> so I like pegged it out the hospital, ran into like the Paddington area where we were having the baby, and I was looking. I was like. There's nowhere to buy... Why is there no kids' shops here? There's nothing here. There's, there's nowhere to buy anything. I then jumped on the tube, and we haven't got long until... We're, so I'm like on the tube. I had to go a few <laughs> stops to find it, because I was like searching on my phone, where can I get a hat? Got the baby hat. Like, we came running back in the room, and we had about 15 minutes, but it was quite warm, because it was July when, when, when Rexy was born. And I'm, like, sweating, like, heavily. But thankfully, there was, like, a shower connected to the room. But I never forget that as well. I then was like, I'm going to have a shower, because, like... I'm sweating really bad. I'm not going into the room really heavily sweaty. So he's like, yeah, probably I'm best. I'm not meeting my child like this. I'm not covered in, just not be filthy. Yeah. Anyway, they went in and then the midwife came in again and said, are you ready? And Susan's just like, Greg's just having a shower. And I could just imagine the look. I'm just like, of course he is. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll be back in five minutes then. I'm like, okay, quickly, I'm getting out there. But yeah, it, it, apart from that, everything else was far more relaxed and chilled, which was great. And um, was it the same with Daphne as well because of everything uh, uh, planned? Because and also, if that experience was so good as well, why would you go back to absolutely you know, the, yeah the variables? Yeah, we went. We, so we went down the same process, same hospital, same specialist, the whole lot, and it was just wonderful, just truly, truly wonderful, like an experience again. And obviously, the difference was this time is that COVID. We're in the situation where you're not allowed to leave the hospital. You're sort of stuck in there, and everything else. So it's a bit different. So when we when we had Rex, there's like a, there's a coffee shop quite close to the 
the hospital, which is a really nice coffee shop. So I, I would sort of go in there for in the mornings, have a coffee or go grab another whatever, come and go as I please. During Daphne's, obviously, you, you're in the hospital and you're in the hospital. We're there for three days. Yeah. Uh, but it was lovely. It was amazing again. And we just sort of, we just relax and it just feels so much better. And I, I guess maybe I get one difference. And this is where we felt so incredibly lucky with, with Rex. There was a sort of a process in place where they could take the baby for a while in the evening to let you get some extra sleep, which is an amazing thing. I mean, goodness me. Um, but with with the COVID situation, we couldn't have that with Daphne. But she's been such a dream of a baby, so much more chilled and relaxed that it's just been it's been amazing from that point of view. Also, I think when you have a first, though, you're so consumed with doing everything right. Yes, you know, absolutely. Listening to the books, listening to all the conflicting advice everyone gets gives you. And the second, you're kind of relaxing. But the third, or when you know it's your last, you, you, you've got that experience behind you. And I think you don't worry about it quite so much. Absolutely. Especially if you've got, you know, a, a baby that sleeps and feeds and stuff. Um, yes. And I think you, you do, you get that space to just enjoy. Absolutely, yeah. There, there most certainly is. I mean, I remember with Milo, I mean, he didn't sleep. He had, he had silent reflux anyway, and it was just brutal. So every 45 yeah. minutes or so, we were up changing him, feeding him, winding him, the whole process. And we just felt like we never slept. And then obviously Rex comes along and he slots in a bit because you've already got like a, a two and a half year old or whatever bouncing around as well. But now with yeah. Daphne, I mean, poor Daphne, I'll say at times, because <laughs> the boys adore her as well. They absolutely love her. Are but you constantly having to say, back off, yes, leave her alone? <laughs> yes, exactly that. So with Rexy in particular, because again, he's not quite four yet. He's still, he's still a little boy, really. Yeah. You go, oh, Daphne, I love you so much. And he's like sort of grabbing her and sort of semi-laying on her. So then during this process, which is amazing to watch of, of him, like sort of being fully in love with his little sister, I'm also then having to hold him up a little bit. So I'm sort of like taking his weight <laughs> while he's trying to, okay, off you get now, leave her, it's fine. It'd be like constant kissing. And she, you sort of see her like, get off. But they love her to bits, which is amazing to see. Are and, they fascinated and... by the fact that she doesn't have a willy? Because yes, when my niece time. comes over, the boys are just like, what? what? Where, where is it? What is that? And then, and then yeah. again, obviously Milo gets it, which is good. He's sort of seen yeah. seven late this year. But with Rexy, it was just, a, so, Mummy, do you, do you not have a willy? Like, no, 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 don't have a willy. Uh, Daphne doesn't have a willy. No, she doesn't. It's because she's a little girl. I'm a little girl too. It's like, no, you're not, mate. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, well, you're not. No. So, it, but it's just, it's amazing at that age. I think that's what's that's what's hilarious is just watching yeah. him figure the world out. With, with Milo, as I say, he's a bit older. He gets it. But yeah, so changing her, especially the first few times as well. It's just like a look of what has happened to her, and it is a bit of that with them as well. Like, what what have you done to Daphne for her to not have a willy? <laughs> so, well, that's, that's what's a bit different here, mate. Like, she definitely is different. Uh, but I so say, watching Rex, the way he responds to it is, is so incredibly cute. I think your love grows for the older ones when you see them interacting with each other. You know, you see the love pouring out of them and it, it just makes you completely thankful and grateful for, for them, actually, and the humans Absolutely. that you've, you know, guided and helped grow because... Yeah, there's just nothing like seeing the love between your kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, I put up a picture on Instagram not that long ago, probably, I don't know, two months ago or so. And it, and it was, I sort of walked past the front room that I'm sitting in now and Milo was just on the floor with Daphne. And it was just, he didn't know I was there watching or whatever else. And it was just, he was just sort of being with her and, and talking to her and, oh, it's okay, Daphne, all these sort of lovely things, stroking her head and that. And just to catch that moment, it's just one of the most, beautiful things you can ever see watching them interact with each other and and again obviously you hear of kids that resent each other and I mean you never know as she gets bigger and starts taking their toys or being a pain in the backside they may not there might be some a few fights which I'm sure will happen but just this understand and love that instantly formed between all three of them was just mm. wonderful to watch and I so say with Milo being that bit older I guess he, he understands a bit more as well. And if she cries, there's none of this, oh, be quiet, whatever else. He, they'll try yeah. and comfort her, which I just, I absolutely love to see. Watching them like that is truly amazing. And again, you're right, you, you sort of find a, a new level of love for them just to, just to see that they themselves are being lovely humans. That, that's really yeah. important, I think. Is fatherhood what you thought it would be? It's better. Oh, it's definitely better. It, it's weird for me as well. And... and, and I mean, I was keen for the boys in particular. Obviously, Daphne came after I retired. I wanted them to see a little bit of what I did as an athlete 
because yeah. I always thought I was hoping they'd find it really, really cool. But fundamentally, they do not care. They didn't care. They can care. watch it on YouTube. Well, that, you know, that maybe is, in that's 10 where years, like, like, oh, well done, Dad. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where we are quite lucky, I think, with that sort of stuff. I remember when my final ever competition in the London Stadium, I brought Milo onto the track. And what made the news, not me retiring, but Milo running down the runway and jumping into the sandpit, that made the news, <laughs> not me. And you sort of realise at that point, again, how important they are and, and how amazing it is to have those experiences to share with them. And, and one thing with this whole bobsleigh situation that I find myself in at the moment, part of what I'm hoping is, if, if I can make the team, which I'm confident I can, is that by... Uh, February next year my hope I really do hope is that things have changed a little bit in the world and they can travel because for Milo I think in particular and it'd be one of the most amazing things in the world for him to come to an Olympic Games and view it as a spectator and hopefully watch um, because these are moments that I get to share with them which as I say are I'm very lucky that I have the opportunity to do that but everything for me is about trying to impact their life in a positive way and make sure that they hopefully turn into fantastic humans and uh, a respectful, a kind, and do all these sorts of things. And I think one of the ways I can sort of maybe showcase certain parts of life is through what I did as, a, as an athlete and, and the working hard, the, the having to make the odd sacrifice here and there. The big misconception, I mean, you'll have a lot of people asking you when you're having your fourth, everybody asks me if the children are going to be athletes. Every yeah. single, like, it's always one of the first questions. And I get it, and that's not me, that's not a, a dig or a gripe at it at all, because it makes sense. But for me, there's zero pressure about becoming an athlete or a sports person, professional, whatever else. The only pressure that they'll find is that I will, I will encourage them massively to do sports because I think you learn right. an awful lot from it. And I think probably we, we, I guess we have similar backgrounds in a way from, from the, the sort of route that you took with, um, I guess, singing, acting, everything else like that and, and being on stage and all those sorts of mm. things. What you find through those walks of life is that you fail. And that, yeah. I think, is one of the most important things that you can teach a child because... When that's removed from them, then when they go into the wider world, they grow older. If, if everything's always just been given or there's always just a well done, you, you've been involved the whole thing, that side of things. I think then when you actually go to try and be an adult in the, wo the world, it's a massive shock. It's a huge yep. shock to the system when somebody turns around and says, no, you don't get that job or no, that's not good enough. You need to do it again. I think in certain situations where I guess maybe we're lucky, we've actually experienced being told no or you're not good enough or failure in certain way. And I had for every success I had in my career and I was lucky to win five major championships in, in, in track and field. I couldn't even tell you how many times I failed because it way outweighs it. Yeah. People but want people to remember the good times. People don't see that. Yeah, exactly. Completely. They only they only want to celebrate the good times and, and they almost forget what every, everything else that came before or in between. Absolutely. But I would I would 100% say from my point of view in particular that the, the failures were so much more important from the point of view of giving me drive and determination to go on and and succeed eventually. I was lucky that I succeeded yeah. in in the sport that I did. So that's something that I try and give to the kids. And I, re I didn't realise when I wanted to become a dad that that would be such an important thing of, of how much influence you want to have to shape them to be good people. Because that's the big yeah. fundamental from it, isn't it? The one thing I guess you take away, I don't care what they do as a job, as long as they're happy, they're good people, and they, they sort of give something to the world which could be just being polite to people, which makes other people's days. I, I think there's an awful lot of pressure on people to always succeed, especially if you come from a family where a member of the family has done something that people know of and remember. Yeah. For, the, for my kids, I want to be a force to help shape them in a positive way. And whatever it is they want to do to support mm -hmm. that so they can be the best they possibly can at it. But equally, as I say, I want them to just be happy, kind humans. And then I think yeah. at that point, I realised that, that my job as a, as a dad has, has been successful. Um, and I didn't realise that was going to be such a strong desire when having kids. I, I was just looking forward to kicking a football in the garden with them, to be honest. Um, <laughs> now I get that. And I also but it's, it's that thing, isn't it? It's all those other components that, that feed into what you do. In, in, a, in, a, in a sense, it actually doesn't matter what that focus is on, what that actual subject is. It's the focus, it's the dedication, it's the hard work that you put into something, it's the setbacks. It's all Absolutely. of that that you're you're showing them, um, you know, that that's what you do in life. And, and, and you know what, my dad, he, 
owned a calf, but he worked really hard. And Absolutely. he showed us a work ethic in a very different way. You know, he got up at four o'clock every morning. He was Absolutely. knackered by the time he got home, you know, but that, that was the work ethic. My nonna lived up in the mountains, you know, she went up and she did her washing up in the fountain. And, you know, she was such a hard worker on the farm. Absolutely. And I think you see that it's, it's a model and you can apply it to whatever you want to do in life. Um, but I think seeing it is the most important thing that we, we can give our kids. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and that is the one thing. I grew up in a similar situation, very hard-working parents who were, who, were, who were constantly out to try and do the best that they possibly can. It's exactly the same here. Like, I, I want the children to see... And again, I guess at the moment, I'm still physically able enough to sort of showcase that in a sporting sense as well, but it's not just that. Yeah. It's, the, it's the other things that I now do and making sure that when I am preparing to say, for example, head to an Olympics to, to talk about what I've got to talk about, I know what's coming, I know who to talk to, I know what to say, etc. Because those things are really, really important. And that does sometimes mean that you're, you're typing away, finding out facts and information about people, yeah. watching video back of previous performances, etc. Because if you go into anything blind, it's going to come out not looking too good. And I mean, look, some people can blag beyond belief, but generally in a high pressured well, a high stress situation of say uh, a sporting event or hosting an event whatever it is if you're not prepared it's going to all crumble around you um and hard work as i say comes with every walk of life doesn't matter what you do having mm. that level of desire to push yourself and work hard and and be driven i think everybody has a people always say oh it's easy for you because you're from sport but it's, it's not at all it, it's a mindset it's completely yeah. a mindset if, if i wouldn't have done sport if I would have been something else I still would have taken that focus to try and become the best at, at that whatever that would have been um yeah. because to me that that's what motivates and that's what I saw and when you see it as you say it's so much easier to replicate it and when you have a positive influence in that way do you get lots of jokes on sports day is everyone like oh Greg's <laughs> here Greg wants to win <laughs> you know everybody thinks as well I know, I know I am competitive of course but Come on, how I, many I, sports day events have you won? <laughs> Never mind the gold living well, medals or anything like that. Yeah, they don't matter. They don't matter at all. <laughs> no, do you know what? Actually, Milo had his sports day, I think it was on Monday. And they, we obviously we couldn't go, like, so nobody knew about it. Um, yeah. And that would have been his first proper one where I could have Aww. actually got involved. So I was a little bit gutted, although my back sore, so probably for the best, actually. It saved me. <laughs> saved me, like, hobbling. Out, what were you doing? I was doing a egg and spoon race at the, at the sports day. <laughs> we got really competitive with the other parents. Uh, the back spasm, I'm out. I'm out of the Olympics. I'm terribly sorry. Egg and spoon race has ruined me. Um, but, no, it, it, again, that, that sort of stuff, like, I would like to think as well, as much as I am very driven and I am competitive, of course I am, I know when to switch it on and off. So yeah. I know what I'm good at in life because I've spent a long time having to perfect it and whatever else. I know what I'm bad at life, which is most things, to be totally honest. I'm not great at mo most other things. Pretty good at physical things. I can generally blag my way around a studio or whatever it is if I've got to talk or those sorts of things, and I yeah. work hard at that. But most other aspects I'm not great at, and I accept that. I will do my best to be good at it, MasterChef was actually a good example of that because from the two big shows, I guess, that I've done where I've, I've put myself out there, Strictly and MasterChef. Strictly, I was terrible. I tried my very best. I just can't <laughs> dance. Like, and people go, no, you're all right. Listen, I train 12 hours every single day to get to that terrible level. Like, that's, <laughs> that gives you an idea of how bad it was. And it was 12 hours every day, and, and that's no exaggeration. But then with, with MasterChef, there was a situation, and again, it sort of shows, I guess, mindset, I went into that and not particularly, I mean, I could cook a bit, but not, not the best in the world. But this desire to develop the skill meant that when I'd get back from the studio, say that'd be eight, nine o'clock at night, I was then cooking until one, two o'clock in the morning to then get back up again at five to go back to, the to leave the studio for six. And that happened for six weeks continuous. So I managed to develop a skill in cooking because yeah. I was willing to put in the hard work. Yeah. Now, I think most people go on that show and probably just go, oh, I'll have a bit of fun, whatever else. There are some people that genuinely are very good cooks and they yeah. do well. But, and then there's people, I guess, like myself, who, who just, it's a mindset. It's all about the mindset when you go into it. How has your relationship with Susie changed since becoming parents? Because obviously you've been through so much within that as well because of, you know, hyperemesis and the, mm. the birth and things like that. So now you're at this point, how has it changed from 
the dizzy heights of, you know, when you were young and free and just <laughs> travelling the world together. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was definitely that. We, we were talking about that the other day, actually. We were sort of saying, do you remember, like, the first sort of year of... De- we, we sort of... I was in Australia, I came back, and then we both flew off to America. Then we spent some time in Canada hanging out together. Then back to... Then we're here, there and everywhere, having a really great time. I think I was probably trying to impress her, but she didn't really realise at the time it's just how I trained. It's like I literally had to go to these <laughs> places anyway. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think... First of all, I think anybody who's watched their partner go through giving birth, and I always forget, there was a soft tissue therapist called Pura who works for British Athletics. And I remember we were, this must have been 2014, and I was competing in, I feel like it was Switzerland, and we had this conversation with Chang, and his wife at that point had had three kids. And he said to me, and he said at that point, when you watch your, your, your wife, partner, whatever it is, go through birth, you have a newfound love and admiration for them to watch what they go through and come out the other end effectively smiling. And it was so incredibly true. At the time, again, I hadn't gone through it, so I didn't really see it, but watching Susie go through it, you you develop a level of, I don't know, of I guess there's a new level of love because you've seen something like that happen. But then on the flips of what, what then carries on which develops every single day in particular Susie in my opinion is an incredible mum I think she's an amazing mother and to watch the way she is every day that develops mm. and if you could write a letter on parenthood on being a dad who would who would it be to and what would you say oh gosh it's such a difficult one um I think it'd be an open letter because uh, I, I think as I say my process of, of thought through having the children, it would be more for everybody to read, to to sort of see, to maybe see my point of view from it. And I, I think the overriding view I'd want to give with something like a, a letter like that is, is to, to hopefully make people understand, okay, it is difficult, it is life-changing, everything else, but it is the most unbelievably rewarding job's the wrong word because it's not a job you could yeah. quit a job if you like to job lifestyle change if you like yeah. and and that's what it is there is so many little things that you will find every single day from your children from being a parent that you never never thought about it could be a, a smile it could just be something they say or the first time they stand at the top of the sw- stairs and swear because something's happened because they're just repeating you like oh dear that's not good <laughs> um, but all these tiny little micro parenting experiences if you like no matter what happens no matter all the difficult moments and everything else they are so unbelievably special that they will eventually outweigh anything else and i, I appreciate that everybody comes from a different standpoint um, socially, economically, everything else. But the one overriding thing is if you take the time to enjoy your children as well, you will be forever rewarded with it because you will always have the memories of those incredible moments. And you have to... It is you, definitely that thing of... It, you? Yeah, it's definitely that, that thing of... It's those... The focus is on the small bits because we all know it can be chaotic and crazy, but actually those... Tiny moments, no matter how small they are, are huge because they completely change the direction or the mood of the day. And it might be for a moment that kind of makes you go, this is this is it. This has made it all worthwhile, all the craziness. Um, And it's those that keep you going and keep you motivated, I think, uh, throughout everything. Absolutely. As I say, that children have the, the wonderful ability to to completely and utterly flip a mood. If you've you come yeah. in, if I've come in and I don't know, I'm I'm aching or sore or whatever. And I found it a lot during the early period of, of when Milo came around and I was still really active. And I was actually went into the best period of my career after Milo came. The 2015 season, the year after he was born, was the greatest year of my athletic career in the way of, of actual performance. Um, and what I found was I would come home from training. I might have had a, a bad training session. I'd be a bit, a bit peed off with it. Walk in the room and you've got this little boy smiling at you and just happy to see you. And it just... It, you realise it doesn't matter. Like it yeah. did not matter to me that I'd had a I'd, I'd had a couple of rubbish jumps. It doesn't matter because what mm-hmm. matters is I walk into a room and this child was happy to see me. And I have it now. I come back if I've been training or been away or doing whatever I do, and I come in. I come through the door and I look from. I'm sitting from where they would be sitting now, and they see me and they they shout daddy and they come running up and I get a hug. And those no matter what's happened, 
that is the greatest feeling I'm going to have yeah. in, in that day and that week. And, and I live for it every single day. Greg, we've come to the end. But before you go, <laughs> I would like you to complete three sentences. Okay. Uh, and the first one is, being a dad means... This is a bit I'm, I'm really I'm not looking forward to because I'm terrible. <laughs> as you can probably tell, everybody be able to tell. It's happened I, since series one, Greg. I know, and this was a bit. In. And I've been th <laughs> and, and I've literally been thinking about it. And like, oh God, like. <laughs> also, I love the fact that you've clearly listened, prepared for this, like you would if it was a sport. However, we're catching you off guard now, even it's though you this. knew it was coming. I literally last night as well. I was in bed trying to think, like, what am I going to say? That's that's profound enough. I mean, if it helps, Kate Middleton, a.k.a. the Duchess of Cambridge, also stumbled on this. She took quite a while. She procrastinated and didn't know how to answer well, it. It was pleased. like I really threw her off. So you're are in you, good company. Are you saying I'm as good, if not better, than Kate Middleton at this? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. OK. Well, the first thing that came to mind was responsible because I, that was like a, a lean to my previous life of being free and doing whatever I wanted and it yeah. all being about me. So, do you know what? It probably means no longer being selfish. And that's probably something that's very important to me because, and we're there, because I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with that. Because You're, there. You're sticking, sticking. And that's that, yeah. because everything I did previously was always about me it was always for me you are selfish as a sports person no matter what like you yeah. have to be and if you're not you're going to struggle and there's being selfish which is it can manifest itself in a, in a bad way and you sort of ruin other relationships whatever but there's also just a way of doing it that means that you get the best out of yourself but then you have children and you realize that you no matter what you can't be as selfish as you were before and you have to think of those 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 people first so for me it means no longer being selfish. Well, Greg, that is more than acceptable. That's a very good <laughs> answer. Well done, you. Uh, you. Next one. Okay, quiet. Think of your feet. Think Let's of your okay, feet. Okay, okay, ready, 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 ready. ready. Okay, okay. Free, free, okay. free, free. Okay, 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 uh, okay. Since having children, I. Since become a, a parent, I've become far more patient. I would say. Nice. I'm not. I'm not a, awfully an impatient person, but I think everything for my life was. So I have to go get it. There's a competition here. You have to. And it's all about performing at the right times. There's always a time limit to that, whatever else. Then you have children and you realise that all of that just goes completely on its head. If you want to leave to be on time for something, but your child has decided that their nappy is now going to go to one side and it's going to destroy their clothes <laughs> and you have to change it, you have to move it. So you have to yeah. be more patient. So I would most certainly say that, yeah, I'm more patient. And I'm happy when? Uh, do you know what? I, I'm happy when I'm out and about with the kids, with Susie. And you know what? Just taking in the surroundings and taking a moment for, for that, that, I don't know, that self-assessment and everything else. There's nothing better for me than going out in the woods right at the back of our house, the kids jumping on things, playing in little camps, climbing a tree, seeing nature spending time with the people that you truly do love more than anything else you do anything for having those moments for me is absolute bliss and if i was in a position where that's all i could do every single day that's all i would do every single day because i love nothing more than the the excitement and amazement on on the, the boys face in particular at the moment and definitely soon when they see something for the first time a creature an animal an excitement of just climbing a hill i truly am happy when we as a family are together and we're out and about just absorbing a bit of nature and a bit of a bit of calm. No, Greg. <laughs> I said a sentence, but you've given me three great <laughs> paragraphs for every single one. <laughs> this is the problem. Shutting me up is always the, the most difficult thing. Once I, I start, it mean. never ends. <laughs> <laughs> it's been lovely to listen to you. Oh, dear, I know. It's terrible. It is terrible. No, it's been absolutely wonderful. You, you've been so lovely to, to talk to. I was listening to the episode with Susie, actually, earlier. And it's actually interesting. We didn't talk about um, the births at all. Uh, and I think hearing about hyperemesis from your point of view as the partner is also really 
helpful uh, yeah. and you've just been absolutely joyous so thank you so much for well, thank, coming thank you for on me. the podcast I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it thank you so much for for having me it's been a it's been a lovely chat it's, it's always lovely to talk about Susie and the kids and and even the bad experiences I think they're important for people to hear so uh, yeah thank you for having me Small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW.